politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight for our right to breathe, our right to live. This is your host, Daniel Hurwitz, here in the house. Um, it's Wednesday. It's the 12th of January, and we have a lot of work left to be done this week. I really look forward every day to coming before you. Um, if nothing else, you know, at least we have freedom of speech. Not for much longer. I mean, I was kicked off of Twitter, but we have this show. You could always find me no matter what at The Blaze, even if iTunes starts going after people. Thankfully, they have not yet. So make sure you subscribe there. I am on Getter. Daniel underscore Hurwitz. Um, we'll see long term what we do here. Uh, you know, I know Trump is making some sort of platform, but what of Mr. Trump? What of Mr. Trump? So we talked about yesterday. I played a little bit of the state of the state address from Ron DeSantis. He talked about them being a rock for freedom, standing up to the biomedical state. No other governor is doing that. You listen to Indiana Governor Holcomb. He received a standing ovation during his State of the State address. I encourage, I plead, I beg of you to speak to your doctor and get vaccinated. Literally, as the shot is not just killing God knows how many people and creating so many injuries, but actually is negative, effective. We have more data on that. We are going to have a very special guest on uh, coming up, a professor that went through what I call the Rosetta Stone of vaccine injuries and deaths and truth, and that is all-cause mortality in America and Europe by age, by geography, by time, to demonstrate where are these extra deaths coming from and how many people likely died from the shots, and it's going to shock you. But in the meantime, this is what we have in Indiana. Yet Indiana House passed permanent, uh, permanentless carry, constitutional carry, <laughs> so COVID fascism, we're going to inject into you an absolve of liability, something that's a bioweapon, but at least you got your guns. This is what has become of the red states. It's meaningless. It's meaningless if we don't fight the issues that matter and the way they matter, when they matter. And if you've noticed that, everyone's a day late and a dollar short. So we're going to get into some of that. Um, before that, today's sponsor, uh, Paint Your Life, one of the best gifts I I love, you know, with I have a bunch of birthdays coming up, and a lot of times, especially when you have parents, it's hard to know what do you give them. You know, they've given you everything. Um, what is a good sentimental gift? Well, what they do is they allow you to get a professional hand painted portrait created from any photo. So you snap a photo with your phone, with your camera, whatever. And then you could combine photos into one, and then you choose from a team of world-class artists who will work with you until every detail is perfect. Um, you could receive your portrait in as little as two weeks. Uh, it, it makes, again, a perfect birthday, anniversary, or wedding gift. Um, I'm certainly going to send, and we're still trying to choose what to send to my, my parents, but I think I'll try it out on them first. So... Here's the deal at paintyourlife.com. Paintyourlife.com, there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded completely. I mean, you could have already worked on this. It's guaranteed. Right now, it's a limited time offer. Get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. 
To do this, text the word REVIEW, R-E-V-I-E-W, to 64000. That's REVIEW to 64000, REVIEW to 64000. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Terms apply, available at paintyourlife.com slash terms. So, folks, Donald J. Trump, okay, he gets up there and he says on One America's News Network, you know, I go on there a lot. Uh, but he did an interview, I'm forgetting which, with which host, and he says he's shaming governors into mentioning that they got a booster. He says it's a lack of courage if they don't say they did. I've had the booster. Many politicians, I watched a couple politicians be interviewed, and one of the questions was, did you get the booster because they had the vaccine? And they're answering like, in other words, the answer is yes, but they don't want to say it because they're gutless. You got to say it, whether you had it or not, say it. But the fact is that I think the vaccine saved tens of millions of people throughout the world. I've had absolutely no side effects. And by the way, with Candace Owens uh, last week, he was also pimping the lockdown, saying how they saved millions of lives. Really, Mr. Trump, you've had no side effects. I guess we have a sample size of one. You're the only person in the world. No, no, nobody has had problems with this. At the time that we have the most problems with this issue more than anything in the history of this country. God knows, I mean, the stuff we're seeing, neurological damage. Um, I mean, there's so much news on this front we're going to get to. And this man is pimping boosters at a time when they're negatively effective. Negative. He's late to the game. You saw on Bloomberg News, the Europeans are now, European Medicines Agency said, repeat boosters is going to harm your immune system. As Dan Stock warned on this show, original antigenic sin, it's now becoming mainstream. Israeli immunologists are warning about that. And it doesn't even work. And he's, he's, he's dealing with the leftovers. There's signs that even the, you know, fascists are moving on from that, but he's scooping it up. You tell me how we could support a guy like that. You know, whatever he did before COVID, COVID, he failed us miserably. And to this day, he's doubling down. He's more pro-lockdown than anyone. In fact, the media is, you know, because the the, the media is trying to cover up the excess death from the shots. So they're actually playing up the excess deaths from lockdowns. But he's still like 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 a dog returning to its vomit. Still going back to that. I mean, is this what we need to be guiding our movement? You tell me where I'm wrong. It's truly unbelievable. And and folks, the negative efficacy is insane. 87% of all cases in Scotland are among the vaccinated now. Okay? If you look at the case rates... It's about 1,000 per 100,000 among the unvaccinated, 1,500 among the single dose, 2,500, that's 2.5-fold higher risk among double and about close to 1,500, so about 1.4 times the risk for the boosted. Now, to be clear, you might say, well, Daniel, well, doesn't that show the boosters at least better than two doses? Well, It's still worse than unvaccinated, but the broader issue is if two doses went negative and the third dose 
mitigates some of the negative efficacy for a little bit of, of time, what does that portend in the long run? They're going to be even worse off. This is what Vanden Bosch warned about, that you can't look at a snapshot of time. You have to look at the whole thing in totality, which we're going to do with our guests coming up, and you're going to see a very different picture. Oh, it's not negative yet. Well, we know the other shots went negative, so this is going to go negative even more. Why do you think it's negative? Because it has suboptimal antibodies that, instead of neutralizing, eventually wind up becoming so weak that they're a Trojan horse, and they bind. So if they bind, the more you do that, why aren't you worried about having that problem even more the more you, you know, the more you inject that into you? And also remember that the same thing they did with one shot to zero shots where they count the first 21 days as unvaccinated, so that's the worst period of time when you're most immunosuppressed is in the ramp up of the antibodies, right? This has been proven everywhere from day one, and it's going to be proven in the study we discussed with our guest. So they're doing it the same with the two shots and three shots. They're now now that they want to push the three shots, they're making the two shots look even worse. So in the 14 days that you had the third shot, which is when everyone gets COVID, that gets dumped into the second shot. So it's also exaggerating the efficacy of the booster. But here's the thing, folks. If you go on, and this is Public Health Scotland, this is Table 12, okay? We now have negative efficacy, not just for cases, but critical illness. Table 12, age, standardized, rate of acute hospital admission, where an individual had a COVID-positive PCR test up to 14 days prior, okay? Now, I know there's a lot of incidental hospitalizations we talked about with Omicron, um, but you know there's no reason to suggest that that will be more among the vaccinated. If anything, they're going to test the unvaccinated more aggressively and, and rope in more incidentals. But the hospitalization rate was 59 per 100,000 among the unvaccinated. 59. Among one vaccinated, one dose, 64 among two doses, 130. So more than double the hospitalization rate, straight up negative effectiveness. Now, it is very low. It's down to 14 among the third. But again, I would argue because a big part of those people in the hospital probably just got their third dose. So really, the third dose is screwing people up, but it's being dumped into the second, just like when the first shot was screwing up the unvaccinated. It just They're just moving the goalposts. The point is we're seeing negative efficacy even on um, hospitalization now again you know it is much milder much fewer people need oxygenation but to the extent there are it's now gone negative and we see that the same thing with the death rates so cases hospitals deaths tables 11 12 and 13 public health scotland if you want to look it up uh covid19 winter statistical report and, and again, what you see very clearly is that the it gets worse and worse for the vaccinated. Um, they have the first week of January. That, that's the data I'm quoting to you from, the first week of January. Brand new data. Um, and they have the last four weeks, and it gets worse, which demonstrates that Omicron clearly has ADE. And by the way, there are still people, you know, as a percentage, it's it's much rarer. But if you're a doctor that's that one of the few that's treating sick people, it's bad. 
Um, there still are people getting very sick, and that's why I really need you guys to donate to Dr. Henson's clinic, texascoviddoctor.com. Please donate generously. Um, he just called me up, and he said he's dealing with, he's getting inundated. A bunch of people are, you know, he's treating them, so he needs more resources. Again, he's still paying for this on his own. We raised, you know, a little bit over $20,000, but we need a lot more. Um, and then, you know, we, 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 he's going to eventually do long COVID vaccine injuries, so we certainly need him to be treating um, more people, texascoviddoctor.com. Um, but I do want to get to our guest. Today's uh, interview is sponsored by Better Spectacles, uh, made by Rodenstock, the German-engineered gold standard of eyewear for 144 years. Ronald Reagan himself wore Rodenstock. My wife and I have their Ghost Specs lenses where um, they have much better energy, no neck strain, the ability to see up to 40% better. Go to betterspectacles.com slash conservative to schedule your teleoptical appointment. You don't even have to wear a mask. Um, it's amazing. I, I did the did the same thing. I didn't wind up going in person, and it fits me fine. First time I ever got glasses that way. Um, they're offering my audience an introductory 61% off their Go Specs lenses plus free handcrafted Rodenstock frames. Just visit betterspectacles.com slash conservative. It's time to see 2020 once again. Now, as we introduce our guest today, I want to get back to something I mentioned at the top of the hour here, that all-cause mortality, the study of all-cause mortality in a given area, given time, is going to be the Rosetta Stone of this entire debate. One thing is abundantly clear at this juncture, that clearly this ain't your grandfather's vaccine, right? It doesn't mean that there wasn't some degree of efficacy for some people at some time, but clearly it wasn't as effective nor as safe as it was made out to be. Now, how much did it deviate from that expectation that's what's going to be very difficult to study without all-cause mortality because the reality is there is no good system of uh, capturing certainly the vaccine injuries. The VAERS system is woefully underreported. I don't know a single person injured who actually did bother to report uh, their incident to VAERS. Um, and, in, and in terms of the efficacy, it's, it's kind of bizarre, you know, because they're saying everyone hospitalized is vaccinated, although, or unvaccinated, although the Scottish data we talked about seems to show the opposite now, certainly with Omicron. But when you do a country to country analysis, you don't really see that. It seems to be a little bit more nuanced than what they're making it out to be. Um, the best way of doing this is to actually study three variables time, age, and geography based on all-cause deaths juxtaposed to vaccination rates. Why wouldn't anyone do that? Well, guess what? Someone has done just that. We mentioned this study before. Uh, for those of you who want to follow along as we're discussing it, it's at ResearchGate as a preprint, COVID vaccination and age-stratified all-cause mortality risk. The main author is with us today, Spiro Pantazato's PhD. He's an assistant professor of clinical neurobiology at Columbia University Irving Medical Center. He has a background and training in health informatics, brain imaging, and biomedical data science. Very interesting stuff. Uh, Dr. Pantazatos, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Well, this study really um, riveted me, and I'm just going to jump right into it. 
uh, your findings, uh, and, and again, this is not yet published, but based on pretty exhaustive studies of um, you know, six to eight age stratified brackets over periods of time in the U.S. and Europe, you estimate, and this is really one of the money quotes from your preprint here, somewhere between 146,000 and 187,000 vaccine-associated U.S. deaths between February and August 2021. How, could you discuss a little bit how you calculated that because that is earth-shattering to most people. Sure, sure. So that that number is basically derived by uh, relating the number of vaccine doses that are administered across each fifty uh, or fifty-two U.S. states and territories, and correlating that in the context of a multiple linear regression with the outcome variable, which is um, deaths. So you have vaccine, you can imagine a plot um, with vaccine doses on the x-axis and then deaths on the y-axis. So you have a line that you fit. Basically, if there's a positive correlation, you have a line with a positive slope. Um, And you can basically, uh, because the U.S. data, the CDC does provide spreadsheets that has real units. So it actually gives you the actual number of vaccine doses in each state and the actual number of deaths. Um, because those are in the real units, you can actually use that rise over run relationship that you get by plotting vaccine doses on the x-axis versus deaths on the y-axis. You use that rise over run. Of, uh, hopefully people can uh, remember their linear algebra or their algebra uh, training. You have that rise over run relationship, um, and you can use that to estimate um, those deaths. So those deaths are actually estimated by this um, the slope, basically, of these fitted uh, regression lines um, using those three, it's actually three variables, but just to keep it simple for um, explanation purposes. So hopefully that, that sort of gives a better intuition about where those estimates come from. So it's actually derived from the data itself. So there's no assumptions um, that we have to make about underreporting factor in VAERS um, it's just the data itself. It's giving you a best fit line, and then you just take those actual slopes, and you say, okay, um, what's the actual number of predicted deaths based on your model uh, for a given number of vaccine doses? So hopefully that hopefully that gives a better sort of um, intuition. So so let me just try to make this um, you know, p- p- bring it back to a real simple level and see what you did differently. A lot of people would expect you'd look at something like, okay, you're studying February through August, um, and you take, let's say, a five-year average of the typical all-cause mortality we saw in the U.S. for those months. And then we know there were certainly excess deaths because it is a pandemic. Some people are dying of COVID. And you would subtract the COVID deaths. Wouldn't you be able to just simply see excess deaths roughly between 146 and 187,000 subtracting the COVID deaths, or is it more complicated than that? It's a little bit more complicated because um, you have all sorts of causes for, for death, and those vary by year. And 2020 obviously was an anomaly. We had lots of sources and causes for, for death. So overall, um, actually all-cause mortality, excess deaths, 
actually decreased a little bit in year 2021 relative to 2020. But even with that decrease, you still had a relatively high contribution um, according to the paper, and it's still under peer review. So I just wanted to give that caveat that it hasn't been published yet. Um, um, but given, you know, if our estimates are correct, um, it does estimate that there's a significant contribution of vaccine-related deaths, even though the overall excess mortality from year 2020 to 2021 um, was reduced uh, because of all sorts of other factors, um, fewer lockdowns and other public health measures that were changed. Um, and also in the beginning of the pandemic when people were still trying to figure out early treatments and what worked. Um, yeah, and, the, and even though now there's yeah higher COVID deaths. So yeah, it's a lot more complicated as you can see. Um, I sort of um, dug myself into a hole there trying to keep the logic all straight. But yeah, it's, it's very complicated. There's lots of reasons um, for those deaths. That's why this analysis, we tried to just focus in um, on the vaccine, the effects of the vaccine specifically, while adjusting for um, other factors, in this case, by adjusting for year 2020 deaths. So that's our adjustment factor. Um, so what we're looking at is any excess effect um, that's specifically related to the vaccine after adjusting for 2020 uh, deaths. So um, ho hopefully that gives us some better uh well, that, that, that's a big deal. That is a big deal because you're, you're saying on average there, based on your average model, roughly 168,000 uh, causal vac vaccine deaths, um, or at least it's certainly correlated with that. Um, and that's through August. That's through August. We had about 375 million doses. By now we have 520 million. So, you know, based on your trajectory and, the, and assuming the death rate would be roughly the same, that could easily take you over 230,000. Um, I know your endpoint in your study was August, uh, but could you describe a little bit what you saw in those numbers in terms of age, in terms of timing, and in terms of age group? Sure. Yeah. So that was that was one of the interesting patterns that fell out of the data that actually made me have a little bit more confidence that um, in the effects that um, I was seeing and that it could you know those the mortality could be attributed to the vaccine was the fact that so we ran these models um, for every month like as you said between February and August and for each of those eight age groups um, and what you see is this age related pattern where you see positive correlations, um, adverse effects between vaccination and death in the older age groups, like the 85 plus, 75 plus, in the beginning of the year, in February and March um, and through April. And then you, you don't see any significant effects in the younger age groups during that time period. But then in May, June, July, August, you start seeing adverse positive slopes um, adverse events, positive slopes, significant effects in the younger age groups. So th that that sort of pattern just kind of fell out of the data. And when I saw that, I was like, oh wow, this is this is um, you know this is consistent with the vaccine rollout because you wouldn't expect to see significant um, as significant adverse effects in the beginning of the year in the younger age groups. I know there was um, you know uh, we vaccinated essential workers, but that was a smaller percentage of the population. Um, so with this sort of type of analysis, you'd only expect to see large, um, you know, effects that affected a larger percentage of the, the population.
Um, so that was one of the interesting factors um, to note about this analysis. And, you know, that, that completely fell out of the data. It's, it's a pattern that, that um, you know, there, there's no a priori um, thing that I did in the analysis that would have made that outcome um, appear. And, and to be clear, you're finding this pattern because we know that just legally they staggered the eligibility, right? It started with the oldest and it kind of went down and down and down yeah. depending on yeah. the, the state and, and and country. But you found this to be to jive both in the European data set and the U.S. data set. Uh, well, so the, yeah, so my colleague, Herbe Seligman, um, he actually started this whole thing. So I, I um, saw his European analysis um, and his, his analysis, um, you know, he, he's been doing this back since February. He, he kind of, he's sort of more of the pioneer in this type of analysis. Um, and I just took it and tweaked it and replicated aspects of it. But back to your original question, um, he actually looked at um, the mortality rate relative to um, the first dose. So he his analyses don't quite do the same thing that I, that mine do, which is look at patterns across time. He actually takes all of those patterns and stacks them on top of each other to look at um, time relative to each person's first dose. Uh, so if that makes sense. So it's a slightly different analysis, um, and it doesn't quite look at the same types of temporal patterns um, that this one does, where you actually look at, okay, what are the effects across the year. Um, hopefully that makes that makes sense. So this is a big deal. I mean, you realize, obviously, the implication of your math is pretty earth-shattering. Um, we know that uh, there's about 10,000 or so U.S.-based uh, COVID vaccine deaths reported to VAERS, um, and this would indicate, you know, more, again, between 148, 187,000 deaths just through August, and we know a ton of people had, um, you know, boosters, and then a lot of younger people, you had the mandates coming into place in a lot of places in September, uh, you have the federal mandate, which whether they win in court or not, clearly, you know, it's had its effect, a lot of people have gone and gone out to get the shots, it would be interesting to see a follow-up um, of this data yep. to see if the, the pattern jives, do, do you plan on doing that? I definitely plan on doing that. I've been I've been pulled in other uh, directions uh, recently, but yeah, that's definitely on my docket for the next month or hopefully by early February. Now, the obvious question a lot of my listeners will want to know is, hey, do you plan on getting this thing published? I have been, yeah, since uh, October. Um, and uh, it's met with uh, quite a bit of resistance from editors, um, I would say, but, um, but I do have, um, you know, I do have faith that it will get published uh, at some point. So yeah, obviously this is not going to be very exciting. Now, is the is is the blowback you're getting? Look, professor, you just can't go there. You you can't publish something like this. Or is there a specific thing they don't like about your methodology that they feel yeah. is is flawed? Yeah, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say I haven't I haven't knock on wood. I haven't yet had too much uh, blowback. I've I've heard some some comments of people complaining uh, when I gave a talk at the university. Um, but for the most part, people have been engaged, you know, my colleagues have been very engaging discussing the science for the most part. Um, and the editors have been very, very 
you know, nice with their rejections and they haven't really said you shouldn't be looking into this or, um, you know, it's more of uh, like, you know, we're, we're not interested in this or this is outside the scope of our journal sort of diplomatic pat answer um, in general. Sometimes they provide good constructive feedback um, that I use to improve um, the manuscript. Um, so, yeah, in general, it's been very collegial and uh, the, the critiques for the most part have been on the science, even if they may not have been that compelling or if I didn't find them that compelling. Um, for the most part, you know, the, the editors and the other scientists try to keep the critiques focused on the science, um, fortunately. So, now, so that's a good thing. Sure. Now, there's two sides of this equation here. So there's the safety, there's the efficacy, and you try to use the all-cause mortality, excess mortality analysis, again, staggered by, by time and age stratification, Europe and the U.S., to paint a, a picture. And it was pretty relentlessly consistent, like we said, very compelling to find a time lapse where the, the excess deaths seemed to be uh, correlating with the exact staggered time when we made the vaccines eligible by age group. That's pretty, pretty compelling. But then there's the second half, which is the efficacy. And because you wanted to give a full risk benefit analysis to say, okay, you know, how many people does it look like it killed by which age group? Um, and then, uh, you know, how many people did it save from COVID? So the COVID side is really itself bifurcated because, you know, there is a concern. We, you know, I don't think we're going out on a limb here. I think it's, 100% proven this is a non-sterilizing vaccine, so it does not stop transmission, that's for sure. And we know from the past with um, the Merrick's disease uh, vaccine for chickens, with RSV vaccine that was attempted but aborted for humans, um, that whenever you have a non-sterilizing um, vaccine, you do run the risk of ADE, and it goes negative where the you know antibodies are kind of uh, strong enough to bind but not strong enough to neutralize. So there's a concern of, hey, it might help for some people at some periods of time, but then it might possibly go negative, which, again, as I mentioned before I brought you on, and we certainly have a lot of data points from the UK showing this all along, but very much so with Omicron, that for some people for a period of time, it does appear to go negative. What does the fact pattern of the death rate show you in terms of its benefit and possible liability, um, depending on the time and the people? Sure. So those those analyses um, are mostly um, done by Hervé uh, Seligman, and I would invite uh, listeners to go to his research gate profile. He publishes a lot, um, and his his analyses look more at the efficacy periods because he used a longer time lag, and his data set actually lets you have a better temporal resolution to look at um, when the periods of protective you know, when there's like a negative correlation between mortality and death, um, you know, there's still a lot of confounds in his analysis that one might have to factor in. But the neat thing that fell out that falls out of his analysis is this temporal pattern that you would expect where there's adverse positive correlations between vaccination mortality um, from zero to five weeks um, post-injection um, before you see that dip into a negative um, correlation from six weeks to about 20, 20 weeks, which is presumably the protective period. And that maps onto other findings about, you know, how long immunity uh, is supposed to, supposed to last. So that, that was very cool about his, his analysis. Um, and I, and you know, I saw another one of his reports earlier on where he, he did do some sort of analysis where he estimated, 
that um, you know, and I haven't done an updated version of this, but at the time he he estimated that the vaccines would have to work like two and a half for two and a half years. They'd have to provide protection for them to be worth the the initial risk um, from those zero to six weeks, um, which is when you know most bad things will happen following uh, vaccination. Um, so I would encourage. Um, you know, listeners to visit his profile to, to see a little bit more about the benefit side of the vaccines. I I came into this, I wanted to try to replicate his adverse effects, obviously because most research is not focused on that. Uh, most research that you see that comes out is focusing on the benefits uh, of the vaccines. So, so far, um, you know, I've done a little bit of a preliminary analysis to see if I could replicate his protective effects that he sees from six weeks on in the U.S. data, and I wasn't quite able to see the same effects, um, and that could be related to limitations with the temporal resolution of the U.S. data. So there, there could be all sorts of factors for that, and that's still, that's still, you know, sort of in the works, so I can't, I won't comment on that too much. Um, but yeah, hopefully that's another thing that I can follow up on with the U.S. data is to try to quantify, you know, how many lives were saved. Can we use this, this same sort of experiment to, to see how many, uh, you know, how many COVID deaths were, were prevented um, with the vaccines um, so that we can factor that into the risk benefit. But, but so far, the picture seems that the, the risks are just much higher, um, even in the first zero to six weeks, to outweigh the benefits. Um, so I, I don't know, even know if that analysis would be that useful at this point, just because, um, you know, I felt a pull a push to get this out because um, I thought this was important in showing and strongly suggesting that the, the risks outweigh the benefits for most um, age groups when you compare the actual fatality, the estimated fatality rates of the vaccines, which isn't that astronomically high. Um, it's only about 20 times higher than what the CDC reports, um, and that's consistent with the underreporting factor that's been reported for other severe side effects. Um, yes. So that's actually, you know, it's not, I wouldn't say it's too, the numbers came out and they actually sort of made made sense and they're pretty reasonable and um, they're consistent with estimates based on VAERS, you know, conservative estimates based on VAERS. Th- that's what I find so satisfying about your analysis is that it's not like knock me over with a feather. Oh, my God. I mean, they're they're pretty earth shattering findings based on what people generally hear in the media about the vaccines. But if you follow the preprints and the studies, um, it really does jive. I mean, I think everyone admits uh, this has been known early on that it does suppress your immunity before it ramps up the antibodies. So there is a period of danger there, but that's when often, you know, they'll panic people. Oh my gosh, it's spreading. Go get vaccinated. But the problem is that's a good strategy if you're in the off season, but if it's currently spreading there, you're more likely to get it. Um, a colleague of mine gave a great analogy. It's kind of like you're in a bunker or you're not, but you're in a foxhole and there's a firefight and you feel you're, you'll be more safe if you go to this bunker, but in order to do it, you have to run over the field to get it. Now, once you're there, you might you know be more protected, but you know you have to go through that period, and that has to factor in the analysis, especially if it is a period of robust spread, which is usually when they're ramping up the pressure to get vaccinated. So you definitely see that there. I'm also reading here that after week 20, there might be a tendency for adverse effects of vaccination, meaning positive R values between mortality beyond week 20 and vaccination at least 20 weeks 
before. So were you seeing negative efficacy after, you know, roughly, what is it, five months or so? Um, so, yeah, that's a good point that you mentioned that second adverse period. That's still, we're still, we're still sort of debating on what's causing that. And I actually had the suggestion that that could be related to the booster campaigns because um, that period happens about six months post-injection. Um, and, um, you know, Hervé has looked at that a little bit and he finds some collinearity or correlation between vaccination rates um, with the first doses with the boosters across countries six months later. So that actually, that effect could actually be ex- possibly explained by the boosters, um, which which I think would be good news because um, it's not some sort of latent like effect that pops up later. Um, although there, you know, there could be, um, that's just not the focus of this. Sure. Of this search. But um, so, so that, that second period is still sort of under, you know, scientific debate and discussion. Um, you know, so, so in other words, just yeah. for, in plain English, just you can't tell our audience whether that portends or indicates, reflects negative efficacy for the vaccine against COVID versus just that's another round of vaccine injuries. Yeah, or a combination, or it could be a combination. Mm, interesting. All, all sorts of factors that's explaining that effect. Um, you know, so yeah, so we can't draw too much. I, I wouldn't say you'd want to draw too much from that those types of um, the plots that he does um, other than um, that, you know, there's, there seems to be a clear, strong adverse effect in the first few weeks before it, it becomes um, presumably a protective or ne- you know, a negative effect after six weeks. Um, and because of the boosters, we don't really know, you know, that's just another, con- you know, potential, that's another factor that, that sort of muddies the analysis a little bit. It's difficult to really tell what is causing that blue, if you remember the paper, that, that th- those negative sort of correlations to increase back up again after week 20. Um, because the way he did his analysis, he, he's recently been sort of breaking that down a little bit, um, but I can't, I can't comment on his more uh, recent sure. analysis. Sure, and, and, and people could find that at ResearchGate, I guess. We're going to definitely take a look at that. Um, we're running out of time here, and this is you know truly engaging, the fact that you've you know, spent the time to go through this, just the facts, you know, just, just seeing what we could glean from uh, excess deaths, all-cause deaths. Um, I got to get to the 800-pound gorilla in the room here in, in your paper, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but this has got to be the most surprising um, result that you came across, which is that... You, you write that you seem to find a correlation of increased deaths among the, the under-18 age cohort children who at the time were all unvaccinated correlating with a period of increased take-up of vaccination. So somehow you'd have um, vaccination periods somehow correlating with excess deaths of unvaccinated children. Now, the first time I read that before reading the rest of your paper, I was like, oh, man, is it, does that show that there's some concern as some have expressed that maybe the spike protein of the vaccine could could shed and maybe some of the parents were getting it and they were you know, shedding the spike on their kids and that was somehow killing them. But then you have this entire supplemental discussion at the end where you seem to show that most of these excess deaths are coming from infants. Could you discuss and try to quantify that for us? 
Sure. Um, yeah. So, so infant infant death or deaths below age one uh, comprises in general it comprises the majority of the mortality in that age group, just because infants are are fragile and they're more likely to die in the first year of life. Um, and once you make it past that year, your survival rate is much higher. So um, that analysis just was able to look at the age group below one, um, which the CDC did provide. So that was including the same spreadsheets that I've, I was using. Um, and I did see a similar strong, you know, positive correlation, um, which suggested it suggests or one can infer that those deaths are uh, could possibly be related to um, vaccinations in the in the mother. Um, we can't test that directly uh, with this data because um, because of the design and the, the the nature of the data. But but that presumably would be the explanation for that effect, that statistical effect um, that that is significant. Um, so, so that's um, you know, it's a good point. Is um, you know, I should maybe try to update that analysis and just look at the less than one year group by itself, um, and then look from two on to seventeen. Uh, but I actually can't do that with the way that the data is structured. Um, so that's um, that's sort of a limitation. But but um, yeah, I would say that the you know, I would say that the data does suggest that the that effect is driven mostly by the under one group. Um, well, what you write is pretty remarkable. The model estimated 667 infant deaths in the U.S. during the month of August 2021 may be attributed to vaccinations in July 2021. Six, are, are you saying the data would indicate an extra 667 in, infant deaths in one month? Yeah, that's what the, the data suggests, um, according to that model, that um, in the U.S. there was about a 660, 50, 650 infant deaths um, that could be um, associated with the, the vaccination rates in July. Um, that is pretty wild. I mean... The reason why, again, I find your paper so satisfying, I don't bring on every last author of every study we cite every day now we're citing studies, but when it starts grouping with other data points, that's when it gets me concerned because I know I sent this to you yesterday and I wrote a column on this. Uh, Scotland, there was a big to-do in the media there that they breached an upper control limit of infant deaths in September, right around that same time that you're picking up a you know what what appears to be a, a huge inf, uh, increase in infant deaths in America, we saw this in Scotland. Uh, their normal neonatal rate uh, death rate is 2.2 per per thousand per month. This was 4.9, very high sudden level. They did an investigation whether COVID caused it, and they concluded COVID did not cause it. But what they did not inquire about was hey was this the uh result of the vaccination in the, in the, in the mothers um what what are some evidence that you see based on the timing again the staggering of the timing that might indicate the vaccine is the culprit uh in terms of the the younger age groups or just in general the infant deaths around the summer um yeah that's a good question um yeah, because presumably, 
um, that would have to be timed with, um, you know, if this is if this is an effect that's due to the mothers being vaccinated, um, you know, you you would uh, expect that there would be more vaccinations, I guess, um, in July or whenever that per- the period during pregnancy when there's a maximal risk. Uh, there might be different effects depending on when the vaccination happens during gestation. Um, so yeah, that's something I haven't looked at or I haven't drilled, you know, I haven't honed in on. Um, but that's an interesting sort of um, coincidence that those effects here happen here and possibly in, in September as well. I just haven't looked at it yet. Um, but, you know, those effects, um, it's interesting that those effects are appearing now. Um, but I guess, I guess, um, yeah, I have to look and see when there was um, more vaccinations in pregnant women. Um, I just haven't looked at that yet, but presumably there were more later in the year, and um, which could explain why we're able to pick up these these signals um, and why these signals are coming out right now. Or not now, but sorry, in September, um, earlier in the fall. Well, it would be amazing if you could update this, um, you know, some of the newer data. But certainly this is very concerning data, and I think it needs... It needs more of a discussion. I mean, whatever whatever it is, no matter what, there is a need to look at this data because clearly if there are a lot more deaths taking place uh, from vaccine injury, uh, we don't really have a system in place to properly warn us about that and pick it up. And unfortunately, <laughs> you're going to need retrospective studies to really do this. And, and, and it's often too late. So I really applaud you for at least embarking on this. Sure. Keep us updated if you get this sure. published. I one, yeah, I just wanted to insert one more thing. You know, the raw numbers can be, um, you know, they can give a certain type of impression, but it's important to put that into context uh, of, like, what's the percentage rate of, um, you know, uh, of infants that die because of the, if the, if they are dying because of the, the vaccination. Um, you know, th- what this paper doesn't do is, quantify that as a percentage risk um, exactly um i haven't we haven't gotten to that point yet but that's you know it's an important follow-up um and um so yeah so so it's you know that 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 number would be helpful to put into context um you know i would imagine that's a pretty small number the percentage itself is a small number the the ab- absolute number might sound high um but if you put it in the context of all the births um, for one month in one month in the U.S. and given how many people have been vaccinated, um, you know, I would imagine it's still a relatively low. Uh, sure, sure. No, that's that's that that's for sure. There's a difference between you know having a big pop relative to you know thankfully an extremely low infant mortality rate uh, in in this era versus saying oh you know it's 20 30 percent of all babies are gonna have problems yeah Yeah. obviously that's a very different story but again these are the type of signals you'd want to look into um as 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 was looked into in scotland it just uh the vaccine was not part of the inquiry report yeah thanks for sending that to me because that does kind of give a better sense of the the actual rates um because they looked at rates um and uh you know, it does seem to have doubled, uh, according to that report. Um, thankfully, it's still relatively overall low or, you know, comparable to what it was in the 80s. But um, the fact that it doubled is concerning and, and does warrant a lot of research. And Yeah. Well, this is certainly a lot to look at, folks. It's, again, it's ResearchGate. 
Um, if you want to look it up, uh, from Professor Pentazato's COVID vaccination and age stratified all cause mortality risk. Um, you know, uh, from you could also look up Seligman S E L I G M A N N on ResearchGate. See his latest studies. Certainly, a lot to look into. Send me your questions, concerns uh, for the professor. We could share it with you at a later date if you guys wanna um, follow up with him. Um, you have some questions. Those those of you who are real data nerds. Um, but uh, Professor Pantazatos, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. Take care. So again, folks, I mean, you know, this is a very smart individual. That was Professor Pentazatos. I'm so glad that he was willing to join us. It's not very easy for people to talk about this. You know, he's got to play very straight. Um, But this is a pretty smart dude. Um, Neurobiology, you know, he's very much into biomedical data science. Uh, He's got a very smart math mind. And, uh, you know, he's a professor at Columbia University. Look, you know, what what makes no sense to me is why the red states, I mean, every state should do it, but I know they're not going to do it, but at least the red states, they should have been pouring into this for months. Again, what we do know is that the feds do not have a proper surveillance system in place, and they will not create one, and they do not want to find out. But if you have this many safety signals, you don't say, well, it's not proven, it's correlation, not causation. Well, you follow up on that if it's very disturbing. Um, you know, again, he tried to, uh, you know, obviously, you know, downplayed it a little bit, but he has a whole supplemental at the end there where he goes through a number of reasons. And again, this is with him and Seligman. It's, it's actually two authors on this paper. And he lists uh, several reasons why he believes, why our results evidence a casual link not just an association, but a casual link between vaccination and mortality risk. Um, vaccination predicts mortality in future time periods. Thus, our results cannot reflect increases in vaccination rates that are caused by increased mortality. Temporal precedence is a basis for uh, inferring uh, casualty. Our estimates for total deaths due to vaccination are strikingly similar to independent estimates based on a fundamentally different data set, an approach based on the VAERS database. We are aware of only one variable, COVID cases, that could potentially confound our results. Um, but then, the, you know, he goes through why why that's not such a problem. So, I mean, this is very concerning. Um, I don't know about the denominator there, but 667 extra infant deaths in one month is a big deal, no matter how you slice the denominator. Um, that is a very big deal. And again, that's that's interestingly enough, right around the time that Scotland saw this. But... Why aren't the states creating their own investigative committees to look into this? We need a 9-11 style commission to see what went wrong here. I mean, because you take the study in totality, and, and again, it indicates, you know, 168,000 deaths through August from the shots. Um, and if you would, you know, add in... A lot of people think the boosters were even more problematic because of the buffer, but that would easily take you over 230,000 if you would have the same rate by now. And then it showed negative efficacy for the first six weeks. And then again after 20 weeks, but it wasn't clear. Is that just because the, you know, the, the deaths are outweighing it? And then again, to, to be clear, what never went into this cost-benefit analysis is the fact that there's 
alternative treatments so you don't have to face the virus with nothing. It's a false choice. And then the long term, the long term, the autoimmune diseases, the cancers. I mean, that that I mean, these are just immediate deaths. This is insane. Again, I know that was a very heavy discussion, but I felt it was worth it to just get just the facts, ma'am. And you could read between the lines what's going on here. Um, why isn't this being, I mean, this this was posted on ResearchGate in October. If this is not true, someone should have posted a, a rejoinder debunking it right away. If this is not true. This is a serious implication. But the point is, hopefully other people like him and Seligman and other people are going to be on to this. Because that's one thing they can't cover up is all-cause mortality by time, by age group. And that's going to paint a picture. And I, I found that to be extremely, extremely um, compelling. And again, Mr. Trump, what is up with Trump? What is up with him? Remember, as you read these details and Trump pimps the boosters... The Scottish data blatantly show negative efficacy, including on mortality and serious illness. Something is not right. So, again, tomorrow we're going to do a special show on long COVID. There's a lot more to go over um, on that front. And you know, I want to get into some of the other issues, too. It's very concerning. DOJ announced a special unit of the FBI to go after white supremacism. Very interesting. You know what that means. They believe we're all white supremacists and they're going to go after us. Remember, if they can control your breathing, if they can control your body, if they can mandate such a dangerous shot, I mean, even if there were zero deaths, but certainly 168,000, what else could they do to us? And I think we know the answer to that. If you could mandate that in order to breathe, you have to wear a mask, I could criminalize your breathing. Well, I could criminalize your free speech and your political views. And that's what January 6th was about. And now the FBI is a special unit. And it's especially disturbing when you know that most of the organizations that they penetrate, they're creating. Meaning it turns out this whole plot to kidnap the Michigan Democrat governor was mainly hatched by FBI agents. It's not like, okay, there's a bunch of right-wingers, they have a bad, nefarious plot, and the FBI kind of penetrates it. No, they catalyzed it. And now there's growing evidence they did January 6th as well. Are we going to have a crisis of entrapment? So the same way we need sanctuary cities and sanctuary states to protect us from COVID fascism, we need them to protect us from the FBI. And we need red state governors to get out there, get in front of this and say, look, if you're going to go ahead and arrest people for First Amendment rights without due process for, for their beliefs, that's not going to happen in this state. And we're going to arrest the FBI agents first. So that's where we are today. I got to run, but I'm going to tell you that I need your help in disseminating this show Get as many of your friends and relatives, everyone you know, to subscribe. Um, you're not going to have this type of information anywhere else uh, given to you this depth of research on the issues. That's what I strive to do. Um, but now I'm kicked off Twitter, so I need your help 
um, more than ever to make an end run around the sensors. The more they censor, the more we know we're over the target, and we're going to continue putting lead on that target, proverbially speaking, obviously. Till tomorrow, God bless y'all, and thank you for listening.